We'll be in uh, Joshua 22 tonight as we continue our journey through the book of Joshua. I will say something up front <laughs> this week. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the journey so far. Uh, great stories in the book of Joshua. Um, but I just wanted to say, and this is not a slam at the Bible. This is more a slam at this particular part of the Bible. Or not slam, but it's just kind of a tedious uh, portion of text. I mean, Joshua is hard charging and almost like a almost like cliffhanger after cliffhanger, amazing story after amazing story. And tonight we're getting into several chapters that are not, I think universally you could kind of agree, these are not the most exciting chapters in the Bible because chapters 20, uh, 13 through 22 primarily involve land allotments, very mundane yet important matters that need to be recorded. So basically this is like you've been in the... Um, in the drama section at the library, uh, exciting, heart-pounding stuff, and now you're moving into the dustier books that no one ever checks out. These are land allotments and names and cities and places, and your boundary runs here, and your place is over here, and these cities are included in your place. Very important for the Israelites to have all of this recorded. Not quite as interesting for us today, but last week we took on chapters 14 and 15 that were pretty pretty cool. I mean, you've got this character that comes back after a big absence, this fellow Caleb, uh, who was 85 years old and strapping on a sword and like, I'm ready to go. It took a lot longer than I wanted to get here, but give me Hebron, give me that hill country. I'll take on the biggest, baddest guys in the Holy Land. So he leads his, his people up there. And uh, just really, you can just imagine how encouraging that was to everyone to see this fellow and his faith. Um, so tonight we're going to move into some of this, like I said, this part that really is some essential records. Um, but I doubt that you would get these chapters out and read them as often as you would other portions of the sacred text. They are important. Um, but uh, we're going to travel a little more quickly through these final chapters of the book of Joshua. Tonight, though, I'll start out with a story. <clears throat> it was three weeks after her wedding day. And Joanna called her minister in hysterics. She said, Pastor, John and I had our first fight tonight. It was awful. What am I going to do? And the pastor just kind of chuckled on the other end of the phone. He said, calm down, calm down, Joanna. Uh, this isn't nearly as bad as you think. Every marriage has to have its, its first fight. This is totally normal. And then Joanna said impatiently, I know, I know, but what am I going to do with the body? <laughs> yeah, so hopefully there's not a body. We know there will be conflict uh, that we are going to have to deal with. And so tonight is almost a footnote on the Peacemaker series. This fits really well into what we've been doing on Sunday mornings. But we know this. We know that conflict is inevitable where we have real significant relationship. We're, we're talking about important things where we're going through big things together. And hopefully, yeah, not, not as bad as that one, but authentic close relationship with the person does involve this. It, understand, it involves misunderstandings and disagreements and sometimes desires pulling people in different directions. Um, and this is the kind of stuff that happens when sinners are building a marriage together, when sinners are building a church together, when sinners are building a business partnership together, and we are all sinners, so it's going to happen, right? Right? Um, well, the people of Israel, again, 
discovered this for themselves in Joshua chapter 22. And tonight we're going to enter into a story that is really about giving people the benefit of the doubts, uh, about resisting the urge to make snap judgments. It's a story about the, the importance of listening and ultimately about living together, seeking to live together in harmony under the authority of God, under the will of God. And so this is, for us, important because we are much more than individuals. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of God's family. And we have been called together to live in harmony together. We are a, a people who have been purchased by the blood of God's Son. And so we're called to, we're called to live in peace together as God's people and yeah, that's not always easy. Um, and the story here really starts, so Joshua 22, but you really have to go back to books like Deuteronomy and Numbers to understand what's going on in Joshua chapter 22. Uh, back, you have to go back in time when the people of Israel were wandering around on the other side of the Jordan way before they had entered into the promised land on this side of Jordan. Um, and so there we are. The military engagements that we've been reading about in the book of Joshua, actually they started before the book of Joshua. They had some encounters, some conflicts, um, some battles with peoples on the far side, the other side of the, of the river Jordan. Uh, they're going to battle with the Moabites, with the Midianites, with the Edomites and otherites over on the far side uh, and have these conflicts. So in, in Numbers chapter 22, as they're journeying through these lands, we call these part of the wilderness wanderings. Um, and two and a half of the tribes, Reubenites, Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, part of the nation of Israel, in the book of Numbers, their leaders approach Moses... You know, Joshua is not the leader yet. They approach Moses and they ask a favor, a very special favor. They wanted to know if someday in the future, years from that date, when the lands were conquered, uh, the lands on the promised land side of the Jordan, when those were conquered, they wanted to know if their peoples could have those lands on the east side those lands as their lands, as their homes. They could establish uh, their future there instead of on the west side of the Jordan. After all, God had given them strength to conquer these peoples, uh, and someone needed to occupy these lands. Someone needed to make these lands their home. So they said, how about us? Moses agrees. But he says there's one condition. Um, you don't get to move in here. You don't get to start your lives here yet. You can have these lands, but first, you need to help your brothers and sisters. You need to help the other tribes. Uh, the time is coming where we will cross over the Jordan River and where we will began, begin to expel these peoples that are currently living in the land that is ours, the land that has been promised to Abraham. And when that time comes, you are going to cross over with us and you are going to assist in all that happens until we take possession of the land. So we're talking about them having to put their lives on the line. You will be going into battle arm in arm with these brothers um, from these other tribes. It's going to be dangerous, and you're really going to be fighting someone else's battles 
for a while at least before you take possession of the land you've asked for. And this gets us to Joshua chapter 22. Uh, the conquests have, for the most part, happened. Um, we're kind, we've kind of got some wrap-up stuff here at the end, and so we're going to pick it up in verse 1, Joshua 22. Then Joshua called together these groups. He called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He told them, You have done as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed every order that I have... Remember, he's the general. You have obeyed every order that I have given you. During all this time, you have not deserted the other tribes. Now, this is, this is basically giving them a little applause here. You've been careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God right up to the present day. And now the Lord your God has given the other tribes rest as he promised them. So Joshua says, so go back home. Go back home. Go back to the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you as your possession on the east side of the Jordan River. But be very careful to obey all the commands and the instructions that Moses gave to you. Love the Lord your God. Walk in all His ways. Obey His commands. Hold firmly to Him. And serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went home. So these folks, these two and a half tribes, they had done exactly what Moses had asked them to do. They had fought beside the other tribes. They had fought for lands that would not be their own. Um, and essentially, they had been willing to risk their lives to fight their brother's battles. And you've got to imagine, this is an emotional scene because Joseph is, is the leader. I mean, he's been the more than just the leader. He's been the military leader of the people of Israel uh, during this campaign. He has led these folks into battle after battle after battle. Uh, he's seen some of them fall. Um, and they have fought together as brothers. And they never, they never ran away. They never went back home to the east side of the Jordan. And so this is the moment where they're going to part ways. This will be one of those kind of bittersweet moments. And it's not in anger. They're not parting ways because they hate each other or because they can't get along. Okay, that's not what this is. Um, but because the battles are over. It's time for everybody to spread out and go back to their homes. And these fellows, well, their homes are on the other side, other side of this river. And that's pretty significant. We may not think of rivers as being that significant today, but there was a time when there weren't a bunch of bridges and there weren't a bunch of boats. And once you got over to the other side of the river, you probably weren't going to be you know, coming over for the holidays and stuff. And so the important thing Joseph wants them to know is this. Keep God at the center. Can you think of a message more important than that? If you're saying goodbye to someone, this may be the last farewell or certainly is going to be a goodbye for a significant amount of time. Keep God at the center. That's what I'm at. Your kids go off to college. We're going to have Senior Sunday next week. Keep God at the center. Um, wherever you go, whatever happens in your life, keep God at the center. And that is the message. Don't let this natural barrier, don't let this river create a spiritual barrier between you and us between, more importantly, you and God, uh, who has made you his own. So they're not going to be seeing each other all that often. Joshua just wants to make it clear, nothing matters more than loving God and obeying his commands and honoring him. 
Joshua is calling them to be faithful. They have been faithful in war. Now it's time to be faithful in worship. So he blesses them and sends them on their way. And I would just ask you a a question. Is it easier for a group of people to be unified in wartime or peacetime? What do you think? Wartime, for sure. Yeah, I mean, how many times just in, in my lifetime even, I've seen, uh, you know, everyone, political infighting and, you know, one side against the other, and then there's a war, there's a common enemy, and the nation just seems to rally, like, you know, September 11th. Things like that happen, and the nation just seems to come together, and all of a sudden, we're, we're just Americans, you know? We're just Americans now. So wartime, but they're entering into this, it's going to be challenging, the challenges of peace, Right? as these enemies have now fallen, at least for the most part. So, so here we go. The 2.5 tribes are going to journey back home to the east side of the Jordan, and things are about to get a little bit weird. Verse 10. But while they were still in Canaan, and when they came, so they're headed home, When they came to a place called Gelioth near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh stopped to build a large and imposing altar. So they took some time in their journey just to stop to camp out and to construct this large, imposing altar. In other, other words, something that everyone was going to see. And all of a sudden... As we're reading the story through Joshua 22, the other tribes, the the big majority of the Israelites that they've just said goodbye to, all of a sudden, they start lining up to wage war against these brothers who are on their journey home. Huh? What's happening here? What's, what's going on? They've had this love fest. Joshua has blessed them. Joshua has given them a bunch of attaboys. Um, and now, just days later, maybe weeks later, all of a sudden these same people that were blessing them and applauding them and thanking them for this partnership over the years, these same people are lining up to destroy them. Verse 12. The whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and prepared to go to war against them. Joshua's blessing them one day. He's leading his armies against them the next day. It's kind of weird. Now hang with me on this because what we're going to have to do to understand what's going on, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit We're going to be going back in time and then jumping back into the present, the the Joshua 22 present, a little bit to kind of understand what's going on. So stick with me on this as we move around the historical timeline. So here's here's just kind of your intro. It really looked like, at first glance, that the two and a half tribes are violating some pretty clear and important instructions that they have been given by God through Moses. Instructions that had been handed down years earlier for just a moment as this. So Deuteronomy chapter 12. Let's go back in time. They're still wandering, 
but they're receiving some teaching through God, I mean, God through Moses, about someday when you move into the promised land, here's, here's what you need to do. So Deuteronomy 12, 8 to 14. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone as he sees fit, since you have not yet reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. But you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then... To the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling place for his name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions that you have vowed to the Lord. There. Be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please. Offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, and there observe everything I command you. It's not that complicated, at least there in in Deuteronomy 12. It seems pretty clear. There's going to be one central place of worship uh, in a chosen destination. So the majority of the tribes, back to the text in Joshua 22, they're ready to declare war because they believe that the two and a half tribes are establishing an alternative place of worship, a rival place of worship, uh, something that God has very clearly commanded them not to do, clearly and specifically, don't do this. So the altar, the place of worship, it is to be centralized. There is to be one place that the brothers and sisters in the tribes are going to have this common place where they bring all of their offerings, and this is the place uh, where they gather to worship God. Now, these tribes have gone out on their own, are kind of apparently going their own way, ignoring these instructions. At least this is what it looks like, okay? So, by the way, newsflash. (laughs) I don't think anyone in here is going to be terribly surprised by this. Religious disputes can be some of the most nasty, okay? The first murder in human history was over an act of worship. Remember Cain and Abel? So religious disputes have a very long history of getting nasty. But before the battle begins, a delegation from the majority tribes, a delegation heads over to talk about this before blood is shed. They get right to the point. The delegation has a leader, a priest named Phineas. He goes to these two and a half tribes and he kind of lays out their complaints. Okay? This is kind of his, you know, his, his indictment here that he's going to put before them. How can you guys build this alternative altar? What are you doing? How dare you break faith with God and with us in such a clear way? So it looks like they're headed to the other side of the Jordan and before they even get back home, they've already, <laughs> they've already fallen into apostasy. They've already built this alternative place of worship. And clearly there was supposed to be one altar, not two altars, not 12 altars, one altar. So thankfully we have some really wise decision-making, 
some really wise leadership modeled here in Joshua 22 because instead of just lighting the two and a half tribes up, you know, lining everybody up from the, the vastly numerically superior forces of the other tribes and just charge before that happens, they want to talk about this. And they're, they're going to lay the issues out on the table and then they're going to listen. Pretty good stuff. And the tribes who've built this altar are going to get a chance to respond. So, long reading. I apologize for this, but I think it's important. So, Joshua 22, verses 21 to 29. Pick it up right here. So, then the people of Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, answered the heads of the clans of Israel. So, they're going to answer. You think we're building a rival altar? You think we're disobeying the laws that have been... Let, Let us answer you. And so they answer, The Lord the Mighty One is God. The Lord the Mighty One is God. He knows the truth, and may Israel, may you guys know it too. We have not built the altar in treacherous rebellion against the Lord. If we have done so, okay, don't spare us this day. If we have built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord or to offer burnt offerings, it's important to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord himself punish us. The truth is, we have built this altar because we fear that in the future, your descendants, basically here's what he's going to say, you guys are going to forget about us. You're going to forget about the battles we, we fought together. You're going to forget that we are actually all part of the people of God. But here's specifically what it says. We, are, we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and you people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord. So your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. Now this is the key right here. So we decided to build the altar not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial, as a symbol. Okay? It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at His sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. If they say this, our descendants can reply, look at this copy of the Lord's altar that our ancestors made. It's not an altar, it's a copy. It is not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. It is a reminder of the relationship both of us have with the Lord. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord or turn away from Him by building our own altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, or sacrifices. Another key verse here. Only the altar of the Lord our God that stands in front of the tabernacle may be used for that purpose. Okay. (laughs) I mean, they get an opportunity to explain things. That's what they do. They explain things. Um, The altar is not a rival place of worship. In fact, we're not going to be making any sacrifices here. It's, It's a visual. It's an optic. It's a reminder. It's a memorial. It's not intended as a substitute place of worship. It's it's a monument. Um... It's here as a symbol of unity. It's here to remind you that on the other side of this river live people who are your brothers and sisters. Okay? 
uh, that will come over from time to time and, and want to worship at the tabernacle and eventually in Jerusalem at the temple. Well, we don't have that here, but eventually we're going to come and we're going to worship and you guys are going to remember who we are, right? You're not going to forget who we are. You're going to remember that we're God's people too, okay? Um, so they didn't want the majority tribes forgetting who they were or the bond that they had or the battles that they had fought together. That's what this memorial was all about. Okay. So, I mean, I think about this, right? I step away from this and I think, this is where a lot of times people get themselves into trouble. Kind of exactly what happened up to a point in this story in Joshua 22 when they start making decisions about other people's motives, about what someone else is trying to do, or at least what they think they are trying to do. Um, and it's about sending a delegation before you make a judgment. You don't have to send a, a delegation per se, but you don't have to send an entourage of people, but, but talking about things before you decide you know what's going on and you plant a flag and declare war, okay? Um, we think sometimes we know what someone else is trying to do, that we know what their motives are, or that there's some slippery slope that they're trying to take, or whatever, whatever it is, and we don't sit down and talk, you know? And that's a problem. And I love the way both sides handle this. I think both sides handle this in a, in a very mature way. When you look back on the whole story, on one side, the majority tribes, yeah, they're, get, they're, they're, they're getting the military ready, but they're not attacking. They're sending a delegation to talk, uh, to gather information, to, to make sure they've got the full story, that they're seeing this correctly because they weren't. And then you've got the two and a half tribes. They don't get defensive. They don't bow up. They listen, and then they answer. It's pretty cool. And in the end, as I think back on the story, I think love matters, and I think truth matters. And I don't think you have to sacrifice one or the other. In fact, I think you need both to truly be in fellowship as God's people. Um, we cannot seek unity in the body of Christ by ignoring clear instructions from the Lord. I know, the best way for us to get along is let's just ignore, you know, the instructions that are in the Bible. No, that's not a path to unity. Um, nor can we assume that we've got all the truth, we've got all the information, and we know exactly what's going on over there or with that group or in that small group or in whatever. Uh, we know everything that's going on over there, and we're just going to charge off into battle. Um, we need both. We need the love. We need the truth. Speaking the truth in love would be the New Testament concept there. And so for us, there's a commitment, a couple of commitments here. The first one, commitment to love. We are a blood-bought people. We belong together. Um, we've been put together by God's Spirit uh, to take the gospel into the world, starting right here in our mission field. And for us, there's a commitment to honor God, to seek His will, to try to understand His will, to try to understand collectively His plans for us together. And look, with the tribes of, of Israel, there were complexities. I mean, we see this. There were differences. Um, there were subcultures within the na national culture. And, and, and yet, at least in this case, there were commandments that they shared, and these 
commandments, or, or better, I guess a better word would be commitments to those commandments, these commitments that they shared were based uh, on their common worship for the Lord, and those commitments that they shared brought a really beautiful resolution to this misunderstanding. So, okay. I think it is safe to say that we live in a special time. Everyone thinks their generation is different or their time is different, but I do think ours is different uh, in one respect. Sometimes people think, well, this generation is the worst. And it's like, really? Why don't you go back and read history 50 years ago or go back and read history 200 years ago? Or, you know, it's it's not morally the worst, okay? Uh, Or we think that our generation is, you know, this, that, or the other. But I will say this. I think our generation is uniquely bad at giving the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it is the 24-hour news channel generation. It is the Twitter generation. It is, we are the experts in snap judgment. I mean, we have, we have taken this thing to an art form, right? Sarcasm and snap judgments and not listening, just talking. And so I think this is really uniquely challenging and helpful to us in, in, in our time. So may the Spirit of God, because this is becoming rare, this idea of trying to understand someone who's doing something that you don't understand and trying to understand, trying to listen. I think that is a rare quality. We need more of that. And so may the Spirit of God help us to do that really well. Uh, And obviously that's important to being peacemakers. But listen in the New Testament to what Paul talked about in the book of Romans. This is wonderful, wonderful stuff. And we'll finish here tonight. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. Paul writes this. And church in Rome, you had the Jewish group, you had the Gentile group, you had infighting because of that. They were all Christians. They all loved Jesus, but they had very different... Anyways, so he says to them, if it is possible, and I love this phrase, As far as it, what? As far as it depends on you. So you're not expected to be Superman or Wonder Woman, okay? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room. Leave space for God to do his thing. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, now we're talking about our culture and our time, and this stuff is just, this is since the beginning of time. People operate in one way. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. We're at war, I'm going to get revenge, I'm gonna, you're my enemy. And the gospel comes along and says, no. We don't fight with the weapons the world fights with. We don't, oh, you're doing evil, I'm going to do more evil back. No, we're going to overcome evil with good. My enemy is hungry. How about a sandwich? Thirsty? You want some coffee? I mean, it's a very, very different way of handling things. And a very beautiful and a very Christ-like way of handling things. And so in the kingdom of God, isn't this amazing? Even the way 
we treat enemies or the way we're supposed to treat enemies. Isn't that interesting? In the kingdom of God, even the way we treat or we're supposed to treat enemies is marked with service and kindness. Overcoming evil with good. Just because you or someone else acts this way, I don't have to respond that way. I can remain secure in my identity in Christ. I may get hurt. Yeah, I may. I mean, at certain times, Christians could say, I may lose my life. You may. But you're going to follow the king, and you're going to represent the kingdom, and it's different from the kingdom of this world. Okay? So we don't take revenge. We leave that to God. We leave that to the one who does have all the facts, who does understand every motive in every heart, and who alone can ultimately make the wise decision. And my favorite line, again, as far as it depends on us, or on you, but I like putting us there, as far as it depends on us, we choose to live at peace with everyone. Like, if I can do anything about this, if I have any say, we're going to be good. We're going to be at peace. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll sing a song. Holy God, you are so good, and we just see Jesus all over the place in this story tonight. The ultimate peacemaker, the one who taught us how to love those who are different, to love those that we may not understand. And Father, I thank you for even examples of this in ancient Israel's history. I thank you, God, for revealing to us that they had some of the same kinds of interpersonal conflicts that we have today, misunderstandings, snap judgments, And I thank you, Father, that we can see them in a healthy way modeling what it looks like to live at peace, to to ask questions, to gather information, to sit down together, to talk. To bless. And as Joshua did, ultimately, to remind each other and encourage each other to put you at the center. Holy Spirit, help us. In a day and time where it is so normal, so natural, so expected to bite back, to exchange insult for insult, to hurt those who line up against us, may we seek to, as far as it's up to us, to live at peace with everyone. And truly, if our enemy is hungry, may we give him a sandwich. Thirsty, may we give him something to drink. May we treat people with love. And so doing, may we model Jesus to the world around us. And may they hunger and thirst for Jesus and his righteousness. Thank you, God, for joining us into your people. We are part of the nation of Israel, spiritually, through Jesus, through our adoption into your family, and we are grateful for that. God, help us to be good at peacemaking. Help us to be good at listening, good at giving the benefit of the doubt, and help us to have wisdom, some part of your wisdom, in making evaluations and decisions about how to proceed. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.